Good morning, church community. We're gonna be reading from Hebrews 5, verse 11, and then through chapter 6, verse 3. So if you wanna take a quick minute to find it in your bulletin, you can read along. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Well, I am so excited to talk about this topic this morning. One of the most important things we could talk about today as a church is the topic of pressing on to spiritual maturity. The year was uh, 1997, it was March in 1997, and I was uh, involved in a kind of a mission trip that took me to London. I brought my son Jonathan, my daughter Amy, and they were teenagers at that time. We, uh, while we were in London, we visited a, a church, a worship service at a church called All Souls Church. It's a famous church. It's one I had heard of, and I'd heard of the pastor there. And we uh, went into that church and heard the pastor preach. The pastor was named John Stott. John Stott was one of the towering figures of, of all of the 20th century as far as churchmen and pastors he preached a sermon that week on Daniel chapter seven out of the Old Testament. And it's a passage I was familiar with, but I'd never really understood that passage. And I just sat enraptured as I was, I was hearing him explain this passage of scripture. And uh, that, that week I understood the passage. That week I learned some stuff about how to function in the world. And that, that week, I drew closer to God, and I will never forget that sermon from, from John Stott that many years ago. Well, I tell that story because I think uh, you, sh you should all know John Stott. I don't think we've ever John done John Stott in Beer with Dead Guys, and so John Hill, would you please make note of that? I think we should, we should have a week on John Stott and talk about him. But I want to share with you a quote by Dr. Stott about the topic that we're going to talk about today. This is a quote from his book, his classic book, Basic Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, our great privilege as children of God is relationship. Now, what does he mean by that? It's a relationship with Christ, a relationship with one another. Our great privilege for all of us as children of God is relationship. And then he goes on to say our great responsibility is growth. Our great responsibility is growth. And what does he mean by that? Let those words sink in. Our great responsibility is growth, meaning spiritual growth is our responsibility as children of God. That's something that he calls us to. Our great privilege as children of God is relationship and our great 
responsibility is growth. I want to let you know the goal of this sermon today from Hebrews 5.11 through 6.3. The sermon is press on to maturity. And here's the goal. In fact, I've basically got three goals today. So one of those goals is to help you understand this passage of Scripture, what, refer, what we refer to as the text of Scripture. One of the things I learned years ago is that when I teach a passage to keep my finger on the text. So I want to invite you to do the same. When I refer back to the passage that Amanda read, put your finger on the text with me. Think about those phrases. Think about what they mean because there is such a richness in this text and it feeds our souls. So that's my first goal today is to help all of us better understand this text of Scripture. There's a second goal today, and I think it's gonna be a little bit more challenging. My second goal is to inspire you and to inspire all of us to pursue spiritual growth, to inspire us all to press on to maturity. And uh, now it might be that you're gonna sit there and you're thinking, Mike, I, I dare you to challenge me today. I dare you to try to change my life. I dare you to interfere in my schedule. I dare you to do that. Well, rather than that approach, since I've let you know that my goal is to inspire you in the area of spiritual growth, I wanna ask for your help. I want you to say, I want you to just totally unfold your arms and say, Mike, let's look at this together. Let's be inspired about spiritual growth because Hebrews 6, 1 says that we're to go on to maturity. We're to press on to maturity. So it's not about just me inspiring you. You already have a commandment from God to press on to spiritual maturity. So that's the second goal. And so my hope is that we will leave this morning, all of us after this sermon, pressing on to spiritual maturity. So yes, I am hoping for change in our lives. Yes, I am hoping to shape your schedule. Let's press on to spiritual maturity. Then the third thing, that the third goal of this sermon is probably the most important, and that's that I want you to see Jesus in this passage. I want you to see Jesus, because that's what Hebrews is all about. The reason the book of Hebrews was written was not just to change our moral behavior, but is to see Jesus as better than anything anything else in your life. To see him, of all the stuff you could give your affections to and everything that you could love, the goal of the book of Hebrews is that you would see Jesus and you would know him, you would cherish him, you would want to be like him. So by the end of today, I hope that all of us will have seen Jesus. And so we're gonna have a couple places as we go through this passage where you're gonna hear me start to talk about Jesus and you should tell yourself when I'm doing that and, nut, and elbow the person sitting you, okay, this is the point. This is what he's doing right now. He wants us to see Jesus because I feel like I have failed in this sermon if I uh, don't help you see Jesus. I'll tell you an interesting thing. I've had a few people express some concern about me because of the stage because a lot of times I walk up to here and people get distracted that I'm gonna just walk right off the stage. I share your concern. Like I could, I could fall off of this, I could lose track of what I'm doing. So I'm, Drew, thank you. There are people that love me enough to tell me, Mike, you're too close to the stage. I appreciate the warning. That's what people should do when other, their friends are struggling with sin and they're compromising. You're getting too close to sin, don't do it. So anyway, 
I'm going to try to get back here because I'm just so tempted to come look you guys in the eye, especially on a sermon like this. Hey, there's three points to this sermon. Why would we have more? Why would we have less? There's just three points. You ready? I'm going to tell you right now what they are. Number one, I'm going to talk about the beauty of maturity, the beauty of maturity. Number two, the barriers to maturity. And number three, the hope for maturity. So let's talk about the beauty of maturity. Oh, we got to keep our finger on the text. Check out 6.1. Can, can you look there? Chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. So there's our word, let us go on to maturity. So there's something about this uh, passage of scripture and the writer here who wants Christians to go on to maturity. I use the word press on because it is the same word that's used as an athletic metaphor in Philippians chapter three where Paul says, I wanna press on to know Christ. I haven't attained it, but I want to press on. Uh, so that's, that's why how I want you to understand this. To go on to maturity, fatalistic, it sounds too passive. The challenge of this passage is to press on to maturity. So what is, what is beautiful about maturity? What is worthwhile in our lives about pursuing spiritual maturity? Let me give you three things that I think are really beautiful about spiritual maturity. Number one, the first thing I want you to think about is what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, now think of this fruit, think of the beauty of this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What the Bible teaches is that as you engage in a spiritual growth process, whether it's attending that class this morning, whether it's being here to worship God, whether it's singing, what the Bible teaches is that the Holy Spirit works through those things to produce in your life a beautiful, beautiful fruit. He doesn't want you to be hateful people. He wants you to be loving people. He doesn't want you to be impatient. He wants you to be patient. So over time in the Christian life, as we grow in maturity, the idea is that the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our lives. That's the first thing that we want to see. The second thing, the second thing that makes maturity beautiful is that God's plan is to, is to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4.19, Paul writes, my little children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed. So spiritual maturity is not about checking off boxes. It's not about rules. It's not about gaining more knowledge. It's not about being more religious. It's about becoming like Jesus. In the 15th century, there was a man by the name of Thomas Akempis who wrote a classic book of Christian spirituality called The Imitation of Christ, The Imitation of Christ. You will have no more worthy goal in your life than the imitation of Christ. That, that is what makes uh, maturity so beautiful. Now I wanna give you a third area of why I think spirit, spiritual maturity is beautiful, and I wanna clarify what I think is a misunderstanding about spiritual maturity. Here's my third point. Spiritual maturity involves emotional maturity. It involves emotional 
maturity. There's a quote in your bulletin by a man by the name of Pete Scazzaro. He's the author of a book, The Emotionally Healthy Church and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And his thesis, and I want to tell you why I agree with it. His thesis is we are not spiritually mature unless we become emotionally mature, that those two things are tied together. The reason for that is that it is possible to know things, it is possible to have knowledge but to still be a monster. It is possible to have all kinds of theological knowledge and to go to church all our life, but we can still have emotional gaps in our life. Say, Mike, can you prove that? How do we know that? What are you talking about? I can prove it from my own life. I became a Christian at the age of 17, 18 years old, and I promptly began to learn a lot about the Bible. And I was incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible. But I had a long ways to go in my emotional growth. And I remember the first year of marriage, Molly and I were out to dinner, and we were, we were just having dinner together, and Molly looked at me and she asked me this question. She said, Mike, how come ever ask me about me. What she meant was, Mike, why, why, why is it difficult for me to connect with you as a man? Why is it difficult, why are you, why do you talk about yourself all the time? Why, why do you not have interest in my heart and in me? That, I'll never forget when Molly asked me that question. I'll about, why did you even marry me? Because I had all this knowledge, but I did not have emotional maturity. And I realized that as I look back at my family of origin, as I look back at the way that I was raised, as I look back at what wasn't built into Mike Tilley's life, one of the things that was missing was empathy. And it wasn't until I got into my 30s and I, I lost my parents and went through all kinds of things that God, the Holy Spirit, began to include empathy as part of my growth process. It wasn't just about knowledge. I could have all this knowledge, but if I don't have empathy, I'm not mature as a person. You see how beautiful that is. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. I did not know. I know people who have a lot of Bible knowledge, they know a lot of things, but they have a history of unresolved conflict unresolved conflict. They do not apply the gospel to the conflicts in their lives. They don't forgive people. And so they might have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but unless they can resolve conflict, they're not spiritually or emotionally mature. So what God wants to do is develop people who resolve conflict, who don't leave broken relationships, but they stay together and they work it out and they resolve conflict. What about humility? There are a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, but 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So there are people that have a lot of knowledge, but they can never admit that they're wrong. They, can, they don't have the humility to see what they're missing in life. And as we've gone through the stress of the past year and a half, I've seen that over and over. I've seen religious people. I've seen uh, knowledgeable people, but I have seen so much pride 
pride in people. I have seen so much self-righteousness. I have seen so much anger in people who were otherwise mature Christians. You see that spiritual maturity is not just about knowledge. It's about humility. It's about love. It's about empathy, and it includes emotional maturity. Now, I hope by saying all of that, those three things, the fruit of the Spirit, being formed into the likeness of Christ, and then emotional maturity, begin to see that we're challenging you to pursue something beautiful that is so worth it, that it is worth making it a priority in your life. It says in this passage to press on to maturity. Now let's talk about a second thing. We've talked about the beauty of maturity, but what is it that holds us back? Now I gave a sermon uh, three weeks ago, uh, September 12th, out of Hebrews chapter two, where I talked about the danger of drifting, the danger of drifting. One of the things that uh, is a, just an interesting observation is that there's a lot of people out there that are drifting. They're disengaged. And that sermon was a warning against drifting from Hebrews chapter two. But the answer to drifting is not just to avoid drifting, but it's also something positive. It is to pursue spiritual growth. So one of the things we need to see is what is it that holds us back? What is going on inside of us? So can we go, let's put our finger back on the text and look at Hebrews 5.11 because the writer here actually uh, is very direct. It's, it's like what's going on. Look at verse 11. He says, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So what's, what's happening here in the book of Hebrews? Well, in the first 10 verses of Hebrews 5, uh, Jim Cunningham, this was his topic last week, he's talking about Jesus as our high priest. The whole book of Hebrews is saying Jesus is our high priest, he's our king, he's more wonderful than anything in your life, and I wanna say so much about it, but what he noticed is he had to stop what he was saying because people were not listening. It's like when Molly and I go for a walk, we do this every morning around Lake Baldwin, we do like an, an hour long walk, and we're walking around, we're having a conversation, and Molly will start talking for a while, and then she'll turn to me and she'll say, Mike, are you listening to me? And I instantly say, yes, I'm listening to you, and then I'm scrambling, like what did I miss? It's like, it's like maybe she'll say some more that I could, make her, I could convince her because it is so embarrassing to be caught not listening to her because she has a lot of good things to say, but I disengage and I'm not listening. So what this, the writer is saying is one of the reasons, one of the things that holds us back from spiritual maturity, he says, you have become dull of hearing. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean... You can't hear anymore because they were, their hearing was fine. The issue was their heart. I want, to listen, I want you to listen to this quote by Sam Storms. He says, the problem was with their hearts. They could hear the truths he was teaching well enough in the same way that you can hear my voice right now. But they did not treasure it and allow it to build in them faith and hope and joy and peace and obedience. There was no passion in their response. They weren't inclined to cherish 
the message about Jesus Christ. Boy, I just love that quote. That is, that is such a great description of what it is like to be dull of hearing. So how, how dialed in are you? How, how much are you listening, not just to the words, but to the music of the gospel as we go through the scriptures? There's a second thing here. Look at, uh, at verse 12. Well, back to verse 11. He says, you have become dull of hearing. What's going on in this passage, he says, you've become dull of hearing. What that means is there was a time in their life when they weren't dull of hearing. And a lot of you can identify, especially those of you that are veteran Christians. I know there's a lot of people here that are new Christians, you're young in your faith, but some of you have been Christians for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, and so the word of God says in this passage, you have become dull of hearing. And what I want to ask you is this, are you as excited about your faith as you were when you first became a Christian? Are you as excited or have you lost your excitement? Have you become dull of hearing? That's a really good warning to think, wow, how do I, how do I renew my heart? How do I get back to the excitement that I had when I first came to know Christ. You know what I think happens? As you go through life, as you age, as you face stresses at work, stresses in your family, and then having children, and all the stuff that happens in life, and coupled with a lot of disappointment, what happens is we just check out, and we're not pursuing God anymore. I wanna caution you about that. I really admire people that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s, Guys like Richard Hostetter, you don't think he's gone through heartache? You don't think that he's had every reason in the world to become dull of hearing, but he hasn't. And I want you guys for a lifetime to continue to be excited about your faith. There's a third thing in this passage, a third reason. It's a lack of appetite. Look at what he says in, uh, in verse 12. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk and not solid food. Now what's going on in this passage? Well, he uses this food analogy and he's saying you don't have an appetite for the things of God. You don't have an appetite for solid food. And I, I, wanna, I wanna just talk for a minute about appetite because you guys, this is a real challenge in today's culture to have an appetite for the things of God, to be driven by a hunger for God. I want to tell you why this is a challenge. Now, it's very easy. Some of you might check out in this next illustration because it's easy to bash social media. But I want to point out something about social media. Uh, there's a, a woman by the name of Frances Haugen, who used to be on the inside of Facebook, who's testifying in front of Congress, has become what the, what's known as a whistleblower. And one of the things she describes about being an insider in Facebook is this phenomena of having these algorithms that are designed sort of like clickbait, which is a great Netflix show, by the way, but clickbait to get people to continue to come back over and over again, and it becomes like a drug. Now, this is not to say that Facebook in and of itself is wrong or other types of social media. But it shows what it does in Facebook is it works with the appetite of the individual. And there is, and you guys, it's, it, you might say, hey, I'm not even on Facebook, so I know where. No, you've.
You've got other drugs. You've got stuff that is a drug to you that is like clickbait. It's either on TV or it's something else in your life. It could be politics or whatever, but it's something that has sucked you in and it's got its own algorithm that is working with you that makes things become an addictive habit. So that is why spiritual growth and that is why a spiritual appetite is such a challenge and that is why one of the things you have to do to be serious about pursuing growth is to change your habits and to make time for that because what habits do is they form the loves of your life. If all of your habits are about Facebook, if all of your habits are about watching stuff about politics, if all of your habits are these different addictions like that, you're not gonna have appetite, you're not gonna have room for spiritual growth. Why? Because it is an acquired taste. We don't have anything here to make you addicted. We have God's word, and one of the best things you can do in your life is to cultivate through habits, study, prayer, fellowship, consistency in worship to cultivate those habits that increase your love for God. You gotta break the algorithms of life that have taken over your mind and that have taken over your heart. You've gotta break them, you gotta change those habits if you're serious about pursuing spiritual growth. Chad Cahill put out a little video on Facebook. Oh yeah, I, watch, I, I have Facebook. So anyway, Chad puts out this video about during COVID, during lockdown. It's a great video, one of the best videos ever. But he goes, man, I, I love COVID because it's changed my life because I've gotten rid of all the busyness in my life. And as Chad, it was such a fantastic speech. And what's this, you've noticed this probably in your life, I'm not, I'm not making this about you, Chad, so don't worry, but we all, it's, it's amazing to me, it is just amazing to me how the most common excuse I find when it comes to being involved in a community group, going to a class or whatever it might be, is I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Now why is that? It's because we've structured our lives, we've chosen to structure our lives around certain habits, and so in all sorts of ways, we've lost our appetite and we haven't made the time for it. Do you guys see what a challenge this is for you to really get serious about your spiritual growth? Listen, is there anything else in here we could find about barriers to growth? Man, we've already talked about quite a few here. Well, verse 13, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he's a child. What it's saying is there's, there's people that are like, they're supposed to be older, but they're still spiritual children. In other words, you've got to move on from adolescence and from infancy and move on to solid food. Look at verse 14. This is really great. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see why spiritual maturity isn't just about knowledge. You get the solid food, but you're supposed to have constant practice to learn to discern the difference between good and evil. In other words, that takes time, that takes maturity, and the problem is, once again, is we are spectators, we are spectators. We are not putting our faith into practice. We come and we sit, but we're not active in our faith. Now. By the way, I'm saying that as a general term. Lake Baldwin Church is made up of a, 
I think, a uniquely high percentage of people that are active in their faith in all kinds of ways. Some are in splash right now. Some of you are serving in different ways. Some of you are engaged in the city. I know there's a lot of you that are active in your faith. But if, the, if, if this, if, the, if, if you think, man, I've, I've just been passive. I haven't really been engaged. I've been, I've been a spectator. I've been a judge. But I'm not actively doing anything. I'm not putting my faith into practice. That's another thing that can hold you back in spiritual growth. Well, by this time, you're like, okay, Mike lowered the boom. He said he would be challenging, and here we go. We've, Mike's lowered the boom on us here. And you could be feeling a couple, a couple of things at this moment. Some of you might be so dull of hearing that you're like, it's no problem just blowing me off. So I would say to you, please don't. Please really think about it and don't blow it off. But there are others of you that are like, Man, I really, that word dull of hearing, by the way, means to be lazy or sluggish. And you go, you know, I get it. I'm kind of dull of hearing. I have times in my life when I'm dull of hearing. I love Mark's leading us in confession this morning about our response to the truth of God. You know, one of the healthiest things about spiritual growth when you hear something like this is to not ignore it. Don't be dull of hearing, but also don't go, don't go spinning off into, you know, I'm a loser, I could never make it, because that is like welcome to the club. None of us are fulfilling spiritual maturity in the way that we would like to. Hebrews, here's the part about Jesus, you guys. You ready? We treasure him because the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, we have a high priest, we have a high priest who is not surprised that we're dull of hearing. We have a high, high priest who knows that we're disengaged, that we're spectators. We have a high priest who knows that we're not moving on. And that high priest died even for our sins of omission, not just our sins of commission, but our sins of omission. Our high priest has died for that. And so now, as I think about my spiritual growth, I don't do it out of shame. I don't do it out of performance. I don't do it out of earning, but I do it out of a response of love because I have a savior. I have a high priest in Christ who has given me a clean slate and somebody that I can look at and I can be honest. I don't even need to be ashamed to confess to my wife or to a friend. I've been dull of hearing. I've been, I've, I've been inactive. I haven't put my faith in all of that. That's the beauty of the gospel, you guys, is it's not moralism like just work harder, but it's also not like dismiss it, who cares? But the gospel helps us rest, wrestle with these things in a healthy way. Well, wow. So we've talked about the beauty of maturity. We've talked about the barriers to maturity. Let me just wrap it up by talking a little bit about hope for maturity. Hope for maturity. Now you go back. Let's take a look at the text again. Because I love, it, it, it gives us a growth process, doesn't it, in this passage? So notice the three things in the growth process here. First of all is milk. Milk. He talks here about uh, verse 12, you need milk, not solid food. Now, milk is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Milk is like the basics of the Christian life, and 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. 
Kayla Oliver and Sharif just had a little baby, Nora, their first daughter. Uh, Kayla came back to staff meeting. Nora, time to time, is just hungry because Nora is, is hungry for milk. And milk is a really good thing. So there are people in this church and there are people that you will invite to church and what they really need is the pure milk of the word. So little show and tell over here. I wanna mention a couple things that if you look in the word, I just wanna encourage you. Uh, one is Molly and I lead a series called Christianity Explored. There's a, there's a version of that called Alpha. It's an introduction to the Christian faith. This goes through the Gospel of Mark. We will probably be doing a Christianity Explored group after the first of the year, and we have a long list of people who we believe need to get into the Gospel of Mark. Some of you may want to lead this because it's a great, great thing to do for people. And then I mentioned John Stott. This is his book, Basic Christianity. One of the best things that all of you could do for yourselves is to go ahead and read Basic Christianity. It's one of the, the classic books but especially for the area of milk to get, in, get together with a group of people, read a chapter and talk about it. You'll get some really, really good milk. So the next thing though, first is milk. The second thing is solid food. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature. So there are some of you that probably need to move on and get into some solid food and to grow in your faith. Let me just mention a couple things in the area of solid food for you. Um, and I, I am not gonna apologize for being practical here because I think there's stuff that is really helpful that we can do. This is a book called Habits of Grace by David Mathis, which really talks about cultivating your appetite for spiritual growth. By the way, I would buy any of these books for any of you. I would, I would encourage you to read them and let's email back and forth and talk about them or form a group, a group. Habits of Grace. This is a classic, Prodigal God by Tim Keller, which is on Luke 15, which really helps you internalize the gospel. And remember I said, um, I talked about emotional growth. I highly recommend this book by Henry Cloud called Changes That Heal. One of the things he talks, remember I talked about how in my marriage with Molly, I, I, didn't, I couldn't connect, I didn't have empathy. The reason for that is that all of us have got developmental things that didn't happen in our family of origin, and so a book like this identifies four areas of emotional development that'll help us in our relationship. So that's part of emotional growth. And so, boy, there's a lot more we could say here. The last one I wanna mention to you is a book called Salvation Belongs to the Lord. It's by John Frame. This is definitely solid food. It's a book on systematic theology, but we've probably had 40 or 50 people in our church go through this book to help to get to know the theology and the teaching of scripture better. So it's a really great book. So just wanted to mention those things to you. I know that um, recently Molly and I took our daughter Sarah out to dinner, went to a great restaurant, and half the fun was looking at the menu, and then your mouth starts to water. So I want you to look at some of these books some of these things that you can learn, even the classes that we're talking about um, as, as, as stuff that should make your mouth water. I was just so encouraged. 37 people went to the class this morning, Richard's class on the Trinity. That is really cool. What they do, they make some time, 9.30, childcare is provided, 37 people. That is so exciting because that's part of that spiritual growth 
process. The third thing in, in here that we see about spiritual growth, there's milk, there's solid food. But then it says, did you notice what he said? By now you should be teachers. By now you should be teachers. So again, one of the things you can do is to become a teacher, teach children in Splash, or lead a small group, or teach your family to get to the point where you're looking beyond yourself to others, and you're gonna grow by becoming, uh, by becoming a teacher. So I just wanted to whet your appetite for some of those things. I wanna close with a couple of thoughts here. We've looked at the beauty of maturity, we've looked at some of the hindrances to maturity, and then we've looked at some of the practical stuff, hope, for maturity. But um, I'm sorry to say that the stuff that I've shared with you, if it's really gonna change your life, is gonna take some work because you're gonna have to break some bad habits. One of the things Chad learned during the lockdown was that we had a forced breakage in a lot of our bad habits. But you've gotta think about, and I love the song we sang, Build My Life, because it's a, it's a matter of building your life around these things, first of all. Breaking bad habits, replacing them with new ones. It will take what one, one writer called a long obedience in the same direction. And that word obedience, I think, is a really good one to think about because, again, all of us, when it comes to obedience, we need a savior. We need one who has gone before us. And so when we think about the fact that you and I have a lot of growing to do, and we especially think about sometimes it involves suffering, it involves tough choices, it involves changing our habits. I want you to think about something in wrapping this up, because you could be tempted to just go all moralistic about this. I want to read a verse from earlier in Hebrews 5. This is not in your bulletin, but it's in the part where the writer said, I have so much more to say to you. And I, I want you to hear something that he says about Jesus says, in the days of his flesh, in other words, when Jesus was a man, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, when did Jesus do that? Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was, he was in the days of his flesh, Jesus also wrestled with sluggishness and temptation and all of that. And when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father, he cried out to his father, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And it wasn't the cup of like deciding to read your Bible instead of go on Facebook. It wasn't the cup of organizing your life to go to a class. It was the cup of drinking God's wrath on your behalf and on my behalf. It says in verse eight, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. It wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not my will, but your will be done. But it was also at the cross. Philippians 2 says that he, it was in obedience that Christ went to the cross for us. And then verse 9 says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Do you see why he's so wonderful? Because where we have failed at spiritual growth, we have not just a high priest who has forgiven us completely, but we have a forerunner who became a man and is our elder brother that we follow in the process of spiritual maturity. Let's pray together.
Lord, I think all of us in this room would acknowledge that in today's American culture, in today's Central Florida culture, that we have a battle on our hands. We have a battle keeping commitments. We have a battle having an appetite for your word. And that is why at the end of this message, we close with a prayer. A prayer asking you, God, by your Holy Spirit to mature this church and to give to us an appetite, not just for your word, but an appetite for Christ. And we pray that in our community, you would teach us not just intellectual growth, but emotional growth where we learn to love you and we learn to love one another. Hear our prayer in a moment as we sing this next song, this next prayer to you in Jesus' name, amen.